Hello, and welcome to the TV Movie Rewind Podcast with Matt and Todd. Hi, everyone. This week we are going, this will be the second oldest movie we've ever covered on the podcast. Five came back, we'll, we'll still be older by one month. Oh, by a month? Wow. By one month, yep. Both of these movies, this and uh, Bo Jest, the, the 1939 starring Gary Cooper, Ray Milland, and Robert Preston, came out a month after Five came back. And, you know, again, I, every time I look back, 1939 was just a great year for film. It really was. I mean, Stagecoach, uh, Victor Fleming alone directed Gone with the Wind and Wizard of Oz in 1939. I mean, yes. You know, incredible. Yeah. Have a good year, Victor. Um, but yes, Bo Jest is a, an adventure with, with some mystery involved. I, I first. <laughs> Stumbled across this movie in the 90s, back when AMC was still a, a dedicated movie channel, dedicated to American movie classics. No commercials, hosted by Nick Clooney and, and another guy who would, you know, introduce the movies. They would run commercial free, and then they would talk about the movie a little bit afterwards, and I want to say like Sidney Pollock was one of them for a while, or he hosted a movie show on one of those channels, like Bravo, any one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, it was, uh, I don't even know what made me settle down to watch the specific one. It could have just been, you know, it was a boring afternoon. And I was like, well, let me check out this, this movie because there's, there's several versions. And as I said, this is the 1939 we're talking about, which is actually the second film version. The first one was a silent film. Uh, it was filmed again in 1966, starring Guy Stockwell and uh, Doug McClure. But I guess it, they they made a lot of changes to that one. Yeah, I guess we, let's talk about that at the uh, at the end. Um, but, yeah, because that's an interest. That's that is interesting with how much they did change. Well, what's important to me about this one specifically is. Never before can I say where an opening movie has just grabbed hold of me and had me sit there like, well, I got to see how this, what, what happened. I got to know. This is, this movie has an incredible opening sequence that if it doesn't grab you, I, I don't really know what will. I know exactly what you mean. And um, for a different, for, for a different reason, um, you know, a movie I've talked about a number of times and will be my recommendation um is fritz lang's m um that that was a movie where it was just like i didn't really know anything about it i had no particular reason to watch it but just the way that it, they presented it and the way that it started i was just like i i guess i do have to see where this is going i guess i'm watching this now and having myself seen this the first time now i'd heard about this movie a number of times uh you had mentioned it before i know you've mentioned it before on this podcast at least once i believe in reference to a magnificent seven um and, um, you know, it's not, this is certainly not an unknown movie. Uh, I mean, maybe now that it's almost 100 years old, and depending on the age of the uh, audience listening, you probably have, you, you know, maybe you haven't heard of it, uh, or you very well likely haven't possibly have even seen it. And you might, and, you know, although we don't do exclusively unknown movies, um, we kind of rate this in that category just because it's been so far away from, um, you know, when did it come out? Um, and you know it's 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 well loved by people who had seen it, and for good reason. Yeah, it's a it's like we said, it's an adventure film. It takes place in Algiers, I think, shortly before World War Two, and if not not World War Two, World War One. And yeah, it would seem in and around that time. Yeah, probably just before, like you said. And um, the the base most of the movie. Well, I don't even want to say no if it's most. Because the movie, it's a two-hour movie. Did it feel like a two-hour movie? No, not at all. This movie not at all, really kind of kind of sails by at, at an incredible pace. It and does hum along. I, I I suspect you know what's interesting too is I suspect at least for me I I, I suspect the backstory where um, they start as kids. You know, like right after the opening, right? They go. They, it's a flashback um, to them as kids, to some of the actors as kids, and then you later see them grow up. I suspect that whole part was longer than I think it was, but no, this movie didn't seem very long. Like it, it was, I, to me, it was well paced, or at yeah. least. So I guess you know you could say the acting carries it well enough. Um, 
and um, you know, it just works because no, I, I wouldn't have thought it was that long if you would if you would ask me, I would have guessed more like ninety minutes at most. But the the thrust of the movie, the the especially the adventure portion, is uh, a fortress in the the um, in the the Sahara Desert that. A, 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 Fort like Zindernoof, I think it's called. I'm sure I butchered that, but it's something mm-hmm. along those lines. Right. Occupied by the French Foreign Legion. You know, I, I would say there's probably about, what, 30 40? soldiers? Yeah, 30, 30 40. 40 soldiers yeah. in the fort. And, you know, they become under siege by the Turings. And, you know, that's the, the battle portion. But again, we're going to start at, as the movie starts. And like I said, if this doesn't hook you, I don't know what will. Yeah, it's 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 weird. Like these guys are so upset that a foreign nation's foreign mercenaries are just like on their land, and they see, they seem really annoyed by it and keep attacking this fort. Well, I mean, this isn't about the politics. No, this no, isn't no, about the war. This is you know, no. But just to give some quick backstory to who the Turks are, because I never really mentioned it. It's just they attack out of you know. It's just they're there all of a sudden. Right. Well, and again, much like assault on which uh, for our, all they know is, yeah, I mean, they're just there. And, these, and these guys just arrived. I always love a good siege movies. They're really just, you know, they don't even really have any dialogue. They just ride in, surround the fort and attack. But the movie opens with the, you know, a shot of the fort. And then you see the relief column riding up and the major in charge of the relief column calls to the fort and they they don't get any answer and suddenly two shots are fired from the fort they the major rides up to inspect the fort to see what's going on and he notices that the guys up in the battlements are all dead they've all been propped up you know not a living person can be seen he rides back to the column and tells this to his sergeant and is like we, we need to scale the wall and check this out at which point a bugler volunteers to scale the wall and check out the fort he'll go in get inside and open up the gate so that the column can come in he goes off and does that and after a few minutes the major's like well, where's the bugler he should have opened the door by now what's going on so the major tells the sergeant this time, okay, I'm going in. If you don't hear from me in, you know, like five minutes, you guys storm the fort. Major climbs the wall and the bugler is nowhere to be seen. Everybody is dead. And he's he calls for the bugler. He searches the fort. He searches the rooms. Can't find anybody. And aside from two bodies that are up in the battlements but not propped up because like I said all the dead soldiers have been propped up with their rifles to look like they're guarding the fort he finds two bodies side by side one of them holding a note that says I confess to stealing the blue water sapphire from uh, Brandon Abbey on this date and you know another the other bodies lying beside him The major goes down, opens the gate to let the relief column in when they're attacked by the Tories. And instead of taking cover in the fort, they take cover in a nearby oasis, fight off the enemy. And after they repulse the attack, the the major then looks over at the fort. And now the fort is in flames. It's just burst into flames. And he's talking to a sergeant like, how am I going to explain this to my report? We come up on the fortress Everybody's dead. Somebody shoots at us. Our bugler disappears, and now the fortress is, is burning down. Well, well, also, and I don't think he, you know, the, the the missing body, the missing bodies, actually. Oh, that's right. Because when the sergeant comes in the fort, he takes him up to show him the the two bodies, the one with the note. And when he gets up there, both those bodies are gone. And he doesn't mention it. Which, how could you? Like, I could, you know, you could kind of understand why. But he doesn't, you know, he, he, he doesn't, that's like, he's so stuck with disbelief, if I remember right, he doesn't even mention the fact that there were two bodies there. He just seems oh, stuck no. for a minute and kind of brushes it off. He mentions it to the sergeant that, oh, there's these two bodies that aren't propped up and one of them had a note on them. And then he, he goes up to show the major and like you said, the, the major goes to show him to the sergeant and like you said, they're gone. 
Right, right. No, I'm just saying like he doesn't really react to the missing because it's just like information overload at this point. He's just yeah. so taken aback as to what the what what high strangeness is going on. It's a really cool opening to a movie. It really does grab you, Matt. Um, you didn't undersell that. Uh, I'm sorry, you didn't oversell that. Um, it's one of those openings where it's like, you know, again, my my misconception of classic movies, especially of the time, is everything is very cheery and smiling and um, usually musical associated, which get, just tells you I don't really watch a whole lot of movies of the era. So I'd like to see a movie um, kick in like that is just it's that was something. Um, it really does hold your attention all the way through it. Like, yeah, you absolutely do need to see where it's going. So I can totally see where you were at. So before we go any further, I will once again implore our listeners to seek out Bo Jest and, and give it a watch before listening any further if they've never seen it. Because we are, of course, going to delve into spoilers. So that way, too, you know, maybe you can't find it. Maybe you don't want to. Because I just picked up the movie on Blu-ray because I've only seen it a couple of times over the years when it would pop up on television or some streaming service. And... It's gotten rarer and rarer because you know it doesn't seem like any streaming service wants to put up a movie that's more than ten years old. I mean, I, that's somewhat understandable to be honest, because like you're going to err on the side of what people, you know, what is in the theaters, what people want to see now, and increasingly so, modern movies get bigger and bigger, um, not just in budget and everything, but I'm talking just in 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 their like resolution, which results in really big files so i mean at some point you do have to think about space and are you going to put it on a movie that like you know people are increasingly forgetting about yeah i guess i just have to you know you know prime does a lot of the older movies some others they, they do have some i guess we just gotta wait till somebody does like maybe turner classic decides to do a streaming service Okay, yeah. I mean, I'm actually surprised that this hasn't been remade yet again, or at least isn't in discussion for a remake, because I think the substance of the movie would do really well with a modern Hollywood, like really big send up, really dig into the, you know, the whole uh, epicness of it, especially uh, with, with the battles that happen later. Well, yeah. And, and well, I guess maybe one of the reasons is because in the 1970s, they did a parody version called yes. the last remake of Bo Jest. And if Somebody else makes a, a remakes Bo Jess that that title is no longer accurate. So maybe there's there's a certain injunction there. Yes, yes. Uh, I saw that looking that up um, the other day, starring Marty Feldman. Yes. Um, and I think like Ed McMahon, it's got an interesting cast. It's like I know I know Ed McMahon is apparently one of the Arab chiefs in it or something. So yeah, I'm sure I'm sure it's I'm sure it's quite interesting. So. Yeah, you know, and I could see this, you know, again, it would be a neat Hollywood remake because, you know, not sure. only, like I said, is it a, a, a good adventure film, but there's two mysteries involved. And we will get into that now because, you know, this is the part where, like, you'll be your last chance to uh, to turn back and, and seek out the movie to reach it, to watch it before we start going into spoilers. So immediately after the the... the Call relief column sees the the fort is starting to burn. We flash back fifteen years to Britain, and we meet three brothers. The oldest is Bojest. The middle brother is Digby Jest, and the youngest is John Jest. They have been adopted by an aunt who is also, they, they live alongside a, a girl named Isabel, who is also the niece. And Augustus, who, okay, so they all live at Braden Abbey. And the absent uncle Hector is apparently like, you know, has inherited the fortune and Aunt Patricia is the one that watches over the children, has provided them their upbringing. And we get the sense, we, well, not the sense, we're basically told that, you know, throughout the years, the Uncle, Hed, Uncle Hector just travels around the world gambling and spending all the money. And there's only one valuable artifact left in the house, which is the 
large blue sapphire called the Blue Water. Now, apparently, you know, there, there's obviously other, you know, assets that they have because they have the butler. They have the abbey they live in that's, you know, well furnished. They have nice clothes. And, but the, the, the big talk is about how, you know, hopefully Uncle Hector will never sell the blue sapphire because it's really the last valuable object that the family owns. Right. Like she's the, um, the aunt, like she's wearing pearls. Like they do have, they do have nice stuff, but you get the sense that the sapphire is like the last of their identity aside, I guess, from the Abbey itself. And perhaps there's like, you know, this is their thing, you know, yeah, maybe the insurance and there's, there's, or there's some sort of, um, um, income like interest that they earn on other certain things like maybe it's more about just them not having any liquid assets right you know it's all tied up in this which is obviously an ancestral home and you know all the kids you know live there together like like there's the brothers do they call her cousin isabel because again it's not i think so I think Isabel and Augustus, who is Augustus, is the Weasley kid that you yeah. know, uh, uh, that is you know the actual one who will inherit from Uncle Hector, whereas the Jess brothers are adopted. Right. I don't think there are any blood relation to Aunt Patricia, despite them calling her Aunt Patricia. And anyway, no, it, it seems like their plan from the brothers' plan from the beginning is to join the Foreign Legion. Oh yeah, well that's you know because one one day while they're out playing and by playing you know they're they're, they're shooting guns at each other's boats basically. Yeah, they have these these toy boats that are like they're so awesome. I want one uh, that are firing on each other and with real cannon, like tiny yes, cannons, but real be, nonetheless. Because as young John goes one wades out into the pond they're playing in, one of those little things goes off and he takes a bullet to the leg. Yep. So they have to bring him to the hospital. They have to um, get a doctor to like get the bullet out. It's crazy. No, what they do is they give young John a bullet to bite down on. Bo takes out his pen knife and digs the bullet <laughs> on the kid's leg. The guy assume lead bullet too. <laughs> and you know what? They're all very nonplussed by all of it because after, moments after they do it, up comes Aunt Patricia with Who- a major from the foreign legion who's who obviously freak out because you know the kid just got shot in the leg no again it's like oh no we took care of it and the major's like well let me take a look oh that's a fine job you did there (laughs) yep yep what what we got all that from was uh hey he can he can dress up he he can dress up a uh, wound in the field good to know carry on this all you know again it's it's just it's all kind of set up because then it, it pretty clearly there's there's a, there's an incident too where they're playing and um, Bo dresses up in a suit of armor that's in the hall and while everybody else is scattered around the house, Bo overhears Aunt Patricia and a, a gentleman that comes over. He we don't know what's going on. All we know is that Bo is overhearing something he's not supposed to. The movie then cuts to 15 years later. They're all grown up. Bo is now Gary Cooper. Um, Digby's now Robert Preston. And John is now Ray Milland. Young Isabel is Susan Haywood. And I forget who plays the older Augustus. But regardless. I don't remember either. Okay, he's good, but you just you don't see him for the rest of the movie. So, You know, they're all, they're all, they got to be into their mid to late 20s. And they get a letter from Uncle Hector saying he's coming back home to sell the blue water sapphire because it's he needs again, he's gambled away all the money he has. And they're all crushed because especially Hector, because he was the one that stood to inherit this thing. This was his 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 last possible, you know, chance at having any money. So they're all kind of disappointed, but, you know, Aunt Patricia goes into the safe where it's kept so they can all look at it one time and she opens it up and the lights go out. And when they come back on, 
the sapphire is missing. And of course, Aunt Patricia is horrified. It's like, we're only families in this room. Where could it possibly have gone? And, you know, the allegations all shoot around, especially everybody thinks it's Weasley Augustus who stole it because, you know, he wants to protect his inheritance. But Aunt Patricia says, you know what? I'm going to leave the box open. And tomorrow morning, hopefully the sapphire will be back in the box and we can forget this whole thing. Well, in the middle of the night, John disappears and he leaves a note behind confessing that he stole the blue sapphire. Digby also tells, gives a note to John saying he stole the blue, blue sapphire and he vanishes. A few years later, we learn that Digby and Bo have joined the Foreign Legion and John has gone off looking for them. For them. And fortunately enough, the unit of the foreign, French Foreign Legion he joins is the same one his brothers are in. And that's where we meet the unit as well as Sergeant Markov, the cruel and brutal sergeant of their unit, played by Brian Donlevy, who was nominated for an Academy Award as supporting actor. He did not win, but he does win the Whit Bissell Award for uh, his (laughs) role because he is excellent in the role. For sure. Rasimov is really good too, but no, you gotta give it to uh you gotta give it to Ryan Dudley. He's amazing. So such a good foil. During one night uh, after the brothers have, you know, gone out on on leave for the evening and come back, they've they've unfortunately had a little bit too much to drink. And they've also met three other guys who are Americans that joined the Foreign Legion. They've all kind of become friends. And they start joking a little too loudly about the stolen blue sapphire and how John may still have it in, uh, I'm sorry, not John, Bo may still have it in his possession. Weasley, well, what did you say his name was? Uh, Gus, or probably Augustus, but... Um... No, 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 the, the, the guy who... Um... Oh, Rasimov. Rasimov. Yeah. Rasimov overhears this and reports it to Sergeant Markov, and that's when they start plotting on how they're going to get the Blue Sapphire. So the next day, they get their orders that they're going to go man the fort, Fort Zinderoth. Zendernoof, I think. Zendernoof. I think it's Zendernoof. The fort. The fort, yeah. The fort where the rest of Bo Jess will take place. Yeah, it's not like I'm going to pronounce it right anyway. And, and the first thing Markov does is he splits, he splits up the brothers and their friends. So he assigns Digby and the two other Americans that were part of their friends to uh, another cavalry unit. They're going to go train to be part of the cavalry. And John, Bo, and another one of their friends are going to be sent off to the fort with, with um, Markov and Rosinoff and a few others. Well, like we said, there's about 40 men who will be manning this fort. And somewhere during the journey, the lieutenant, who's a good man, takes ill. And Rosinoff, uh, Markov is put in charge, which leads to talk of well not talk of mutiny they're, they're setting up the the whole squad yeah no actively planning mutiny to mutiny against markov and take control of, first take control of the fort and then desert Bo, john and their friend all refuse to participate in the mutiny yeah, and Bo even gives a speech about how, like, you know, I, I came here to fight for this, which he's, yeah, like, he's a true believer. That's that's why he's there. Well, he swore his loyalty. So it's a good, it's, a, it's an interesting, yeah. No, I'm just saying it's a good, it's a, it's an interesting speech. It's just like, no, I'm here for duty. Like, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but yeah, I'm here for duty. Yeah, and again, it's a volunteer, so they all right. pretty much volunteered for this. 
but well right but you get the impression that many of them volunteered to escape you know prison yes um, it, it's or, that... or, or whatever but in the case of the in the case of certainly the the brothers um i mean there's also the implication that one was trying to avoid say scotland yard because he stole the sapphire but otherwise like his plan was to join the legion anyway yes and the, there, there was a part where you know when two deserters from the fort were were returned to the fort you know dying of dehydration Markov is like, well, you know, the, the, the penalty for desertion is execution by firing squad. But instead, I'm going to be kind to you two and let you desert again. And he forces them out into the, the desert to die of heat and, and thirst. Yeah, that was pretty awful. And that, that was a pretty awful scene. That's what really prompts the mutiny. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, cause that's the thing, like, as far as a beauty is concerned, like you get it. I mean, Markov is, is, is a maniac and, and becoming more and more of a maniac. Uh, cause he's literally telling them how he's going to like hurt them and beat them in order to mold them into soldiers. Like he's not even trying to be like, look, if you listen to me, we'll get through this kind of guy. He's just like, no, I'm going to hurt you until you do it right. Seemingly, even if you are, but not until I'm satisfied by it. Like he's, 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 he's unhinged. And in some ways, he's a bit scarier than uh, even Arlie Ermey in For sh- oh, know, completely full metal jacket. Completely, because you, at least you got the, you know, yeah, you know, completely. <laughs> completely. Like, this guy is just straight up evil. And then, yeah, the capper is what he just did to them. Um, you know, not even shooting them, which at least would have been by the book. No, he just sends them right back out into the desert. And then tells the guy, like, guards to make sure they, um, you know, they avoid the oasis. Yeah. So... They plan the mutiny, but first they're going to get a nice sleep because they don't want to march, you know, they don't want to mutiny and then march across the desert at night, which I would think would be the better idea. You know, marching at night is in the desert is, is a much better way to survive the, the, the you know, heat. Well, plus, I mean, yeah, um, with an oasis not that far away, like you could canteen up or whatever and then make your way, you'd think that would have been smarter. Or at least doing something about the five guys that you know for a fact are not on your side, but you're just like, all right, well, we're going to we're gonna go to sleep and just assume you're not going to do anything. Well, but they don't. It's another Weasley guy that reports the whole thing to Markov. True, true. And... They don't actually report the uh, mutiny. They don't exactly say anything. So they're not. I guess yeah, that, that's right. They're not really. They don't really think they're threatened anyway. When, when when you know Markov gets wind of it and he finds out that you know the Jess brothers and the other guy weren't into it, he wakes those them up. They all grab weapons and arrest basically arrest the mutineers and. Markov is like, well, I'm going to have you all executed. And, and like, Bo and John are, you know, assigned to be the firing squad, which they, of course, refuse to execute the prisoners. And Markov is like, well, then I'll execute the two of you. And you're kind of like, uh, Markov, you're, you're, you're rapidly running out of allies. Right. And if, right. It, it's the, already like 35 to 5 or whatever it was. They actually say what the number is, but it's something like that. Yeah, and, 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 you know, if these guys decide to rush you, which, you know, you've already admitted, like, you're going to murder them, so they have nothing to lose by rushing you. Well, you know, plus, he, he already, he practically said he was going to murder them, even if they followed orders, because that's just the type of hell he was going to put them through through this whole thing. Like, yeah. he basically said, like, after this, some of you won't even survive. And it's not like, oh, because, you know, you might do something wrong. It's just, I expect that's how that's going to go. You know, it's not even having like the tough guy. This is beyond that. Fortunately, I guess the Turing's attack. And it's at that I mean, point. They have good timing. They have really good timing in this movie. Yes. Yes. Because it basically this puts us in a kind of an assault on Precinct 13 situation where everybody's like, well, if we don't work together, we're all going to be wiped out by the Turing's. And immediately, yeah, the, the sergeant, everybody get your rifles and man the par- man man the battlements because, you know, it's war. And, and just to tell you where Markov's head is, the, he just went from like open insurrection and about to execute the only two guys on his side so he could, he could then execute the rest of his squad to cheering on the fact that they're now all in mortal danger oh. so that they can possibly die in combat. Like, he couldn't be more thrilled 
that he's suddenly in massive life and death combat right now. Markov is is twisted, evil, willing to kill, willing to steal, but he is a he's got a warrior spirit. Yeah, he, you could say he so. Lives I guess. for yeah. battle, and when it comes to being a soldier, like his eyes are lit up, <laughs> he couldn't be happier. It's like he, uh, it's like he got a Nintendo sixty four. <laughs> you know? This is what he lives for. He is excited by the prospect of battle and defending the fort. And they repulsed the first wave, and oh, this is oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah, the, 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 the pajamas, the the it, scandal. It's it's so scandalous because they're all in there. Underwear, which they're skivvies, <laughs> if you will. No, because they are dressed from head to toe. They yes, in like a suit. You know. They have like they're wearing like a uniform. They're wearing yeah. like something you would wear to fix your car. You know, I mean, it looks they're completely they, they, covered. Yeah, these are not like even they have like, collars. They're wearing collars. It's it's not even like they're wearing tight fitting long johns. No, it's not like they're floppy, right? And they got like big socks or whatever. No, they're they're wearing. I didn't even realize they were underwear because, like, at one point, um, I forget what I think it was the brother. He mentioned something about like you know, isn't it embarrassing fighting in our underwear or something along those lines? Or I didn't expect to be fighting in my underwear. And I'm like, that's a weird thing because I assume he meant something he was wearing under the full clothes he was wearing. But no, apparently that's the underwear. So the 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 sergeant does like okay, after they repulse the first attack, he's like, all right, uh, half the men go down, get you know coffee and bread, and change into your yeah, uniform. get dressed. Yeah, I mean, come on, guys, we're a team. And what's amazing too is they they show that these these the turrets the the the, the sergeant even mentions it like. In the next attack, they're not going to just rush us. They're going to start making, you know, aimed shots. They're going to make a more concerted effort of sharpshooting and, and taking us all out. And these guys are amazing shot. Like these, yes, they're, they're up they in, proceed to do exactly that. They're up in battlements behind cover, and they are obviously a far superior force as well. But you see them dropping, you know, legionnaires with almost every volley. Right, you know, a legionnaire has gone down, and immediately, and he does this himself. Uh, uh, the sergeant is is picking up the bodies, propping them back up at the battlements, and yes. putting the rifles under their arm to say, you know what, we'll, they'll they'll stop more bullets this way, and you know they'll think we have even more men defending the the fort than we do. Right, because he tells them like, um, you know, when you're shooting, run from battlement to battlement. Um, right. when you shoot, which is wise because apparently they're taking aim anyway, but also, yeah, it would make it seem like there's more of you there. So that answers the question of how that whole deal started. Yes, this answers like all the dead bodies that look like they're guarding the fort. But the attacks continue and pretty soon, and it, it is really well staged. The director, uh, Walter Wellman, really had an eye for directing action sequences. You know, this is, it all has such a big epic feel to it. Um, you know, you, you feel like you're kind of even in the, the, the pitch of the battle yourself. There's really no confusion about what's going on. It's all very well put together. So, yeah, the action scenes are the action scenes are great in this. You really do kind of feel. I mean, having a big screen helps as well, but you do kind of feel like you're there. It, um, it's just claustrophobic enough. It's 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 um, it's great stuff. But you know, the, from where the cameras are put and the whole, you know, you don't really pay attention as you're watching the movie. But as the movie progresses, and especially again with the opening se- sequence of the major searching the whole fort. You get a good layout because it's not a big place. Um, no, it doesn't seem very large at all. No, it, it 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 really gives you an idea of the layout so that you know when ha- what's happening and when a person goes down, you get in that sense of where they were when the action was happening. And cr- critically, it would seem um, that the Torigs are not really trying to surround them. It looks like they're attacking from more or less one side. Well, um, 
or at least the, def- the defenders are doing a good enough job keeping away from the sides. From what I the the idea I got is that the the ones that were on horses kind of circle like you would see in a western movie with the Native Americans circling. Right, right. But and what I'm then, saying is, is like, and then they all leave in the same direction. Right. Like they don't right. like hang out. Oh, exactly. But they they obviously use the dunes as cover because that's that's probably why you got that. They only probably had one angle of cover to fire on the fort. Yeah, and Buttercup Dunes, California, doing an impressive job of standing in for Tunisia. Yeah. So it all ends up with Bo wounded and mortally wounded, and John and the sergeant. Algeria, sorry, Algeria. <laughs> John sorry. and the sergeant, the last two, and the the Turks have given up their attack. They're they're riding off because. They don't know there's only two guys left to defend the fort. You know, they just know that they've been pouring bullets into this place, obviously killing, but there's still no fewer people in the battlements. And this is where we find out that, you know, Markov is going to try to, uh, he he sends John down to get bread and, and water for his dying brother. And that's where Markov tries to, you know, he, he, tries to steal the the gem that he assumes Bo has. And really what he has is, well, okay. John comes back. Markov is about to kill John. And Bo uses the last of his strength to kill Markov. And that's when... Bo leaves the dying request to John. He gives, he goes, I have two notes. One, I want you to get back to Aunt Patricia and the other you leave on Markov, which is the note confessing to the stealing of the blue water sapphire. As Bo dies, he, we are now at where the movie opens. We hear the relief calling come up. And now we see John is the one that is too fired on the approaching column. He gathers up his things and he escapes over the, the wall opposite of the column's arrival and runs off into the desert. And this is also where we realize that the bugler that volunteered to scale the wall at the beginning is their brother Digby Jest. He climbs the wall, finds his dead brother, Bo, and just as he's about to, you know, that, that's when the we see what happened. As the major was going around, Bo was doing all this, this stuff to, you know, Digby. arrange. Digby was doing all this stuff to arrange his escape. And he goes over the wall after John. John Digby meet up with the two other Americans that were in Digby's column, and they all desert together. They're heading home now. Unfortunately, Digby does not make it home. He's killed as they run into a party of Turrigs as they try to get to a oasis. Yeah, there's a scene a little bit later where they're all dying of thirst, and they have a they have to attack an oasis surrounded by. Uh so they can get at the water and um, Digby comes up with a really clever plan that works but he doesn't make it through right John is the last one to survive and the movie ends with him coming home to Brandon Abbey um, you know their butler's still there he's very happy to see him like, and, and your brothers and that's when he explains that they both died we never see Augustus again Augustus is no, not he there. disappears. Yeah. He, he kind of disappears from the movie, maybe in shame, maybe because everybody thought he stole the blue diamond or the blue sapphire. Um, it's never explained, but you know, John is reunited with um, Isabel, who you know they kind of developed a romantic relationship over the years, and John prevents the note from Bo to Aunt Patricia. And this is where everything is explained about the theft of the blue water. And we find out that Aunt Patricia 
that when when Bo was hiding in the armor as a child, he overheard Aunt Patricia selling the blue water to a collector who also gave her a fake to hold on to to disguise the fact that she had sold it. And Bo, knowing that it was a fake 15 years later, stole the fake to protect Aunt Patricia from, you know, it being discovered that she sold it, which she obviously sold to help raise the kids, not from any, you know, greed or anything. She sold the diamond to, to, you know, provide money for the kids to grow up on. But by stealing it, or at least pretending to steal it, stealing the fake one, he covered up her selling of it. And that was his final, that was his gallant gesture, which in French is beau jest. This is just an incredible movie that I think anybody should see. Yeah. Yeah. I no, mean, uh, it, it's, it's, it really is fantastic. It, it, it absolutely hold, holds up. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm glad you recommended it. I'm, um, I'm glad I finally got a chance to see it. If you're into adventure and like it, it works as an adventure movie, it works as a mystery movie. I mean, it almost opens up kind of like, um, a horror film when you think about it you know here's this oh yeah calling coming up on a fortress and oh my god the only people on duty are, are dead men okay let's what but somebody shot at us was was it a ghost was it a zombie i don't know i'll go <laughs> over the wall and find out and then that person disappears it's like what is going on and then later just moments later yeah the dead body disappears and then the thing's on fire yeah no um it almost opens like a tomb of the blind dead or something. No, it is just it, it, the movie. Like I said, the opening grabs you, but then everything else keeps you interested. You're not sitting there waiting. You know, you, you're not just like, oh, well, I got to see how this turns out. You know, right. the movie still entertains you all along the way, regardless of whether that, I mean, if that opening hadn't been there, Maybe I wouldn't have been quite as interested in following it along. Um, oh, like, I'm trying to figure out how. If the opening hadn't been there, the movie still would have entertained me, but I don't know whether sure. I would have been as, as, as riveted. Well, you might have waited longer to get around to seeing it, right? Uh, or at least right. that's you know that's 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 how it would what would have happened to me. Like if I had come across this movie and seen that opening, yeah, I'm going to sit and 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 finish watching it because I'm like, okay, now I'm really interested. But otherwise, it's just one of those you know. Otherwise, it could end up just being one of those great old movies that you hear about. You just never get around to seeing. There there are plenty of movies where I've watched from beginning to end, but a lot along the way, I'm just like, oh, what are they just going to get to the reveal? You know. They, they lose me halfway through or maybe even three quarters of the way through. And now I'm just because I want to see how it ends. And then I end up being disappointed by the That is not the case with this movie. You are going to be interested in it all the way through. Because even before the, the siege happens, the characters are interested. Like, we've got Gary oh, Ma- Cooper. Markoff. In a, in a movie with Gary Cooper and Susan Hayward, I mean, you know, Markov really carries it. Like, to me, it's small wonder why he was nominated. I don't know who won, but, you know, small wonder why he was nominated because he he um, he carries so much of the middle part of the movie. He's just fantastic. But, like, even, like, Ray Moland and Robert Preston would go on to have huge careers in Hollywood mm-hmm. because they're all excellent. Oh, yeah. And you know, I, we didn't. I didn't recognize Robert Preston right off, but once you hear his voice, you recognize Centauri from uh, yeah. the Last Starfighter. Yeah, ever so because he's got that mustache. Um, he obviously looks so much younger, uh, but you can. You, you're right. You hear it in the voice, and every so often, you catch the right angle. Yeah, especially if he would scowl, mm-hmm. he would see. You would see Centauri. But you know, they they do enough. Like I said, just watch, even watching them as kids. You would think that, uh, do I really want to watch these? And it's it's only for a few minutes of the movie. Oh, again, maybe like you said, it it's longer than it. it it's it, probably longer than I think, but it but doesn't. It you know, keeps you going. Yeah. Right up until when, like again, all of a sudden you see 
they're adults and you see grown up Gary Cooper and Robert Preston grabbing these axes and running to, oh, the yes. them to go, you know, like, oh, OK, we, we've got it cornered. And you find out they're basically just chasing this little mouse around. This movie really does know how to frame a sequence because, yeah, that that all starts off with just, you know, they're the um, I think it's John. Right. And Isabel are just talking and you just see Gary Cooper in the background, just run up, grab an axe and then take off. It's like, all right, where's that going? It's so much fun. It's some, and like we said before, we really, you know, we, we do a lot of these movies, you know, not only the ones because we love them, but we want people to find them and, and enjoy them as well. And this is one that I really hope along with, you know, five came back. If I can get at least one person to see this movie, I think I've done my job. Yeah, totally. Um, there's, um, you know, uh, I'm not saying you're going to run out and watch every single movie, but like you got to give some of these a, a shot because, you know, the further away they get from memory, the, the less likely you're ever going to remember them, um, you know, and uh, some of these are just some of these are just fantastic. I'm, I'm glad you I'm glad you recommended it because I don't know when I would have got around to watching it myself. Um so I'm glad you recommended it. Like, like, you know, as you said, thankfully it had that opening because that got you to watch it, which got me to watch it. And it is something I fear we are losing because, you know, a lot of these movies we saw, and again, like this movie itself, we saw because there were channels that were either right. dedicated to these older movies or channels that were, you know, the local channel that didn't have the money of a network to, you know, book the bigger movies and rent the bigger movies to air them for their broadcasts. So they would go to the back catalog of, of somebody's, you know, film library and say, well, well, what can we get for like this amount? Like, Oh, well, here's a couple of movies you can, you know, do a marathon of, you know, you can at least advertise, you know, Oh, Gary Cooper and Bo Jess. You are just not seeing that anymore because, you know, broadcast television is of course suffering streaming services are the wave of the future and you know people want not only original content because that's even where a lot of streaming like like i said i saw this on amc the mm-hmm. amc that is broadcast now is in no way the same channel i want. No, it's basically the walking dead right and you know that nothing against and, that, the, and I like the Walking Dead. Nothing against it's just that's how much it's changed. But yeah. not only that, you know, I mean, remember TLC it, was the Learning Channel. Like this is how far back that goes. But I don't want to act like you know there's there's nothing. Breaking Bad was a fantastic show that people love. Right, right, right. Same with Mad Men. So I'm yep. not saying you know that there's anything wrong with that. It gives them their ratings, but you know, it pushes all this other stuff aside and nobody's willing to take the chance on it anymore. And it's only again, through some of these companies like Kino Lorber that are willing to say, hey, we're going to still remaster this movie and get it out on a Blu-ray and get it out for people to see. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Like, I can understand why um, like, you know, like we talked earlier in the beginning, like, I understand why there's, you know, it isn't thought that there's much profit in a movie this old anymore you know for for a number of reasons including the audience has just changed and they're probably right but still i mean some of these movies need to be appreciated and this is one of them yeah and and, Um, you know wizard of oz i think anyone could agree you know you've seen it and know what i'm talking about or maybe you haven't got around to it but you know it's 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 like that um there's there's a certain type of filmmaking you're just never going to see again and um, you know, it, yeah, it, it, I just think it should be, yeah, it should be preserved. And if you know, I, I will always dedicate at least you know every few weeks an episode of this podcast to highlight these movies, and right hopefully on. people will say, you know what, you know, I don't know the movie, let me at least you know, I know, I've heard Matt and Todd enough that you know at least I'll give the episode a chance and listen to it and see if it's something I'm interested in seeing or at least listening to the episode. I mean, it's also why we're going to shoehorn in some westerns every so often. Yes, and I'm not the, I'm not the biggest western fan, but again, it's a it's a genre that I do appreciate every so often, and I'm 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 glad I have you know I'm glad I've seen it. I'm not necessarily going to go out and watch every single one of them, but you know what? Um, it's uh, it's that you just don't really get good westerns anymore 
Um, maybe there's a lot of you know reason for that, but that's just fine. There's there's tons of classic ones that I haven't experienced yet, and I'm glad for the ones that you um, th throw in my direction every so often. Now let's just discuss because neither of us have actually seen it, but mm -hmm. the 1966 remake yeah, of okay. Road Jest, which stars, like I said, Guy Stockwell and Doug McClure, it that version has nothing to do. It doesn't discuss their lives as kids and it doesn't even acknowledge the, the whole theft of the blue water sapphire is dropped. No who, third brother. There's no third brother because again without that, that aspect of the movie it wouldn't be necessary either. There's no mystery. Um, the, the, the movie opens with the relief column showing up and finding Bo Jess the only one left alive. And then Bo Jess recounts the tale of the defense of the fortress. So, so it's a much more straightforward siege picture. Which you get if that's what you want to see. And you know what? If you want to Which sounds like it could be decent, yeah. Like and, I'd watch it. And if you want maybe somebody wants to check that version out first before going back another thirty years to see if if watching the remake gets you to watch the 1939 ver version, that's perfectly fine as well. You know, um, it may be of more interest to people a little more hesitant to commit to something, you know, from from the late 30s. I think we need to check. I mean, we don't have to do a podcast or anything on it, but we need to. I think we need to check it out at some. Point. Oh yeah, if I can find a copy of it, I'm definitely gonna get into. Because I'm just, I'm certainly interested to see how that plays out. And I always enjoy seeing Doug McClure. Absolutely. Um, anything else to say about Bo Jess? I mean, it's a, it's an exciting film. It's it's fun to watch. It's a it's a damn good film. Um, like I, like I've you know like I've joked about before, and there's still an element of me that feels this way when considering an older movie. Like in my head, it's all like smiles and singing and and, and goofiness and and stuff like that. And like sometimes I'm actually in the mood for that. Often enough, I'm not. So it takes some consideration. Um, but like I've watched enough of these now to know that like you know I can be fully, even my ADHD can be fully entertained by a classic. Um, uh, at least certain ones, anyway, uh, and this is one of them. That's what I, I get. I'm, I'm I'm glad you finally got me around to seeing it. Well, you know, and and um, if I hadn't seen it on Blu-ray, I might you may not have had the opportunity because, like I said, yeah, you're right. Movie is is just isn't. I mean, like it's out there on this Blu-ray. It's it's a new release by them. You can find it, you know, e easily enough. But not a lot of people are still buying and collecting physical media anymore. Good point. So, you know, it's almost like, and that's another reason why somebody might not see this film because they might be, well, if I can find it streaming somewhere, I'll check it out, but I'm not going to plug down the, you know, 15 bucks to, to buy the Blu-ray. I got, I got to think it's buried deep on some like obscure streaming channel, maybe even the Kino, uh, Kino one, but I doubt it because that seems to be mostly like very I peculiar cult movies. I looked because I wanted to tell people oh, right. the podcast, Nothing, but I, huh? I couldn't find it oh, wow. anywhere. That's unfortunate. unfortunate. That's unfortunate. But I, I really think, if, especially if you, you do collect physical media, this is a good movie to have in your collection. Go to Kino Lorber, uh, klstudioclassics.com and, and buy yourself a copy. I, I don't think you'll regret it. Yeah, yeah. Even if if you have um, if you have an inkling to try something different, to try something new, or if you're already into classic films and haven't got around to this one yet, you know this is your reason. All right. Well, let's move on to recommendations. Recommendations. Um, I mentioned it earlier. I'm just going to go again with Fritz Lang's M, uh, the 1931 crime classic, which I might force you to do on this at some point, but. Um, you know, for some, it might be a bit of an uphill climb because it's in German, but it is it is subtitled. Um, but it's an ex it's an excellent crime thriller that they did remake. I guess it wasn't a very good remake, I want to say, in the 50s. Um, but um, as far as I know, hasn't been remade since. But when you see it, you'll be like, oh, I've seen other movies like this. And this is a really good one. Is all I can really tell you. It's an excellent performance by Peter Lorre. Um, it's just a really, it's a movie that grabbed me all the way through. Um, and, um, you know, it's been a while since I've seen it. I, gotta, I think I got to dig it out again. But that was something that I forget exactly how I even came across it, but it was just, you know, um, 
I, had, I think I was just flipping through the channels and whoever the host was, was talking the movie up um, about this, you know, German serial killer preying on children and the, you know, the police going, you know, you know, ripping, assuming that it's someone in the organized crime world who's doing it. So they're turning that, you know, tearing that whole world apart to the point where the criminals are like, all right, we have to catch this guy. So the police will get off of our back. And, um, and then just the way it starts is more or less unassuming, but once you have some idea of what's going to happen, it also kind of sinister. And, um, yeah, Fritz Lang's M. Um, uh, it's a, again, a well-known movie. It's, you know, this isn't, I'm not like breaking any news by saying how good it is. It's a very well-reviewed movie, um, for people who know it, but, uh, that's another one where if you want to give something a shot, um, do it because that could be the movie you could discover for others. Cause again, that, that was something that just like, I didn't know that that was a movie that helped me, um, really grab onto classic movies, um, and, and, and look at them in a different light, especially film noir. All right. I'm going to recommend Gunga Din, also from 1939, and also an adventure classic. Um, the proto, like a proto uh, Raiders, right? Well, not so much a proto Raiders, but if you watch Gunga Din and then watch Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Temple of Doom, right? You can see that Temple of Doom is kind of a sneaky sequel to Gunga Din. A lot of the references made at that dinner table are made about the events that happened in Gunga Den. Oh, wow. I'm, so I mean, it, that it, obviously went well over my head. Yeah, it's well, if you've never seen Gunga Den, when I, I hadn't seen it. Of course, I hadn't seen Gunga Den when I watched uh, Temple of Doom for the first time. And it was actually... Um, well, who I hear it from. I saw somebody's review once online about how Gunga Din, and I had seen Gunga Din at that point, but he was the one that mentioned that, oh, and it's a kind of a, uh, uh, Temple of Doom is kind of a sneaky sequel to Gunga Din, and he starts going, I'm like, oh my god, it is a kind of a sneaky sequel to to Temple of Doom, it is kind of a sequel to Gunga Din. And I, next time I had the chance to see Gunga Din, I watched it again, knowing that, and then threw in Temple of Doom, and I was like, oh wow. Very clever, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. Now, is that something we because we don't have it? Is that something we got to get our hands on? I'm gonna have to get us myself a copy of Gunga Din as well. Yes, oh, right on because I'll have to watch it. Yeah, uh, I'm also gonna recommend another movie I recently purchased, not aware that it was directed also by William. Yeah, same Roman. day. Uh, yeah, yeah, same time. Battleground, which is a World War II movie about the 101st Airborne's experience at Bastogne uh, during World War II. Again, an excellent movie. Won't go into it because we will be covering that. That will kind of be the next movie we cover in the slot of classic movies people really should see. Okay, so uh, that's our recommendations. We did our wet Bissells. Uh, we got to do is The Magnificent Seven Degrees. Okay. Do you got one? I do. Um, I'm, I'm going to, it's technically cheating um, because I inadvertently looked it up, but I'm going to have to use it because I just think it's cool. So one of the two um, deserters that we mentioned that uh, Markov had forced back out into the uh, desert was played by Harry Brandon, who played Cheney in Assault on Precinct 13 by John Carpenter, who um, directed, well, Escape from New York with... Uh, um, Kurt Russell, who is in Dula Diablo with uh, Charles Bronson, who is in Magnificent Seven. Well, my connection will also be Charles Bronson, but much quicker. Gary Cooper was in Veracruz. He co-starred in Veracruz with Burt Lancaster, but also in Veracruz is Rob uh, is Charles Bronson. Oh, and Charles, Robert. it's it's actually the last movie Charles Bronson is credited at under his real name of Charles Buczynski. Okay. So there's my connection. Good movie. Um, as always, I want to thank everybody for listening. I really hope you, you try to track down Bo Jest and give it a chance. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Movie Matt Soroyce, all one word M O V I E M A T T S I R O I S. You can check us out on Facebook. 
under the movie asylum of the weird, bad, and wonderful. That's really more dedicated, especially the, the contributions I make are dedicated to some of the terrible movies I stumbled on. More with. bad, yeah. And still, uh, yeah, you know... These but, th- this this podcast is more weird and wonderful. <laughs> that tends to reserve the bad for the for the Facebook. Well, but you know what? Again, if you don't watch, you, you never know what you're going to get until you watch. And even, well, some and honestly, and sometimes bad sticks with you in just the right way, where you're like begrudgingly entertained by it. Yeah, it, it can be a lot of fun. You know? uh, the most recent one I watched was a movie called Headless Horseman, which had no relation to the source material, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. He did not ride a horse, and he was not headless. That's, yeah, it's kind of a problem. But it could have been a decent movie if they had done more with the action. But again, that's that's a whole different thing. We're not here to talk about stuff we don't like. We like to promote the stuff we like. Sure. And with that, we thank you for listening and hope to have you back next time. Thank you, everyone. Stay gold, people. <laughs>